Maybe you've heard of Slack, but what is it? Slack is your new HQ. One place for everyone at your company to find answers, share updates, and stay caught up. Slack, where work happens. Get started at slack.com. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. I'll be one of my friends just trying to make you some money. My job's not just to entertain, but that's getting teachers to call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. We've got protests all over America that many places turned into riots. What does the market do? Rallies. Dow gaining 92 points, S&P advancing 0.38%, NASDAQ climbing 0.68%. So how do we interpret this action? Is the market totally heartless, indifferent to the pleas of the protesters? Is it condemning police brutality or endorsing it? Is the market making judgments about the difference between violent protests and passive resistance? I know many people wish it would. They want the market to be part of the debate. They want it to play a constructive role in the dialogue over racial equality. Or at least they want it to go down to express some empathy for the troubled times we're living through. That's not how it works. The truth is, the market's blind because it has no eyes. It's deaf because it has no ears. It's a convenient abstraction, not a person with opinions. Of course, individual investors make judgments, but i got to tell you, until very recently, nobody was investing with an eye toward making the world a better place, whatever that might be. While there's now a younger generation that invests with their hearts as well as their heads, and I share a lot of that sentiment. For the most part, people still pick stocks because they're trying to make money. You buy stocks at companies, good companies, with good long-term prospects, meaning the ones that won't be hurt by the protest by COVID-19, ideally with powerful long-term trends that will boost them no matter how these situations play out. So just to be crystal clear, no, the stock market doesn't care about social justice. Maybe you think it should. It's not my department. But for the most part, that's just not how things work. You could say investors are myopic. I'd say they're myopic because it tends to produce better results. Classic example, China. Chinese government's terrible. You may be furious at China for initially dropping the ball on the coronavirus. I know the president is. But unless this new round of the trade war escalates to the point where it hurts American business, it probably won't impact your portfolio. Personally, I'm worried that President Trump has gotten so hard line against China that it might jeopardize our special relationship with Taiwan, an obvious target if they want to escalate. And Taiwan has a huge semiconductor industry and a great one. It's vital American interest. I'm concerned about what will happen to our companies that do tons of business in the People's Republic. I'm talking about companies like Nike, Starbucks. After close, by the way, Starbucks had an announcement. It, it, it's all in line. There's no new news there. Uh, and, of course, I'm, I'm always going to be worried about what happens with Apple. Other than that, though, all this sound and fury about China simply isn't actionable. Is it an important story? Of course. In terms of geopolitics, it's a huge deal. In terms of trying to make money, not so much. So with that in mind, let's circle back to the protests. From my perspective as a money manager, what worries me is how all this will interact with the pandemic. I would never condemn peaceful protesters exercising their right to demonstrate and speak their minds. At a time of sky-high unemployment, you know, you got to figure that the whole country's a powder keg. But we also know there's a deadly virus going around, and big gatherings are exactly where it spreads. When you look at these videos, there's not a lot of social distancing and far too few masks. This is the mother of all super-spreader events. 
And that's why I'm concerned that we're going to get a huge second wave of infections far earlier than people thought. Plus, in the places where protests turn violent, it gives businesses another reason to shut down or keep their employees working working remotely. From this stock market's perspective, everything that happened this weekend means the stay-at-home economy will last longer than we thought. We have to hope that rebuilding generates immediate openings to put people back to work, but don't bet on it. This is an extension of the stay-home economy. So let's think about the individual stocks that benefit from the stay-at-home trend. Let's circle back. Sure enough, they rallied today. Not because they're spitting in the face of the protesters. No, but because what's happening now helps their bottom line. So let's do, let's talk about the most obvious. Let's talk about Zoom. Zoom video up nearly 25 bucks today. A huge run in advance of its at, at earnings port tomorrow. Out of nowhere, Zoom has become a $57 billion behemoth. That's a major part of our lives. It's easy to use with a premium business model, newly heightened security that curtails Zoom bombing, and it was the biggest winner from the lockdown. If that lockdown continues for different reasons, it still wins. Zoomy boozy brunches, Zoomy lectures, even Zoomy shivas. It's all on tap. Zoom's running today because there's a decent chance it might go higher after it reports. You know, in my 40 years of investing, you rarely get situations like this. Normally, it's a sucker's bet to buy a stock that's up more than 13% the day before it reports. Buy high and sell higher is a bad strategy, people. But in this crazy market, anything can happen. Second, as great as Zoom may be, the work-from-home movement has created some huge cybersecurity vulnerabilities. It's just much easier to protect your network when everyone's in the same building using the same computers. Now people are spread all out. It's spread all over. And by the way, they're using different machines. That means there's incredible demand for cybersecurity software, and the companies in this industry can make a fortune. For example, last week we spoke to Jay Chaudhry. He's the CEO of Zscaler, the cloud-based security play. He delivered a terrific quarter, and his stock exploded higher. It's one of the year's best performers. I wanted him on because in this cybersecurity market, I knew Zscaler wasn't done going up. I wanted you to have a bit to your attention. Multi-day run. Sure enough, with the protests spreading COVID-19 and likely extending the lockdown, Zscaler surged another 12% today. Again, you have to understand what the market's actually sensitive to. As long as there's a huge level of enthusiasm for stocks like Zscaler, Okta, that's a Kramer family favorite, Fortinet, Proofpoint, CrowdStrike, which reports it to the close tomorrow. The average can keep climbing. These cybersecurity plays were practically made for this moment, hence the Kramer COVID-19 index. When people are afraid to shop and afraid to go outside, that means more customers for Amazon. Again, in this tape, a likely set of keystrokes to order something from Amazon translates into more keystrokes to buy Amazon stock. Yes, ideally, you want to send your money to small businesses, right? I mean, they're suffering right now. But most small businesses remain closed, thanks for the non-essential designation, which drives still more business to Amazon. Hence, it's nice move higher today. What else? We keep hearing about sports opening up once again, right? So what do you do? Every time you hear it, well, you go buy the stock, of course, of DraftKings. Search another 10% today. It's the only way to invest in the concept. Is the online betting, uh, sports betting company really worth $13 billion? The question's irrelevant, people, to this set of buyers who take it up every single time there's news of an opening day anywhere. Who else wins from the stay-at-home economy? Well, how about this one? Facebook. It launched a brilliant, brilliant initiative. 
Facebook shops to help small businesses operate online. They're the natural ambassadors for Facebook. This is something that could turbocharge the company's growth rate at a time when their core ad business, some say, is flagging. Finally, there's DocuSign, the ultimate of betters of the stay-at-home economy. Their software lets you sign contracts digitally. You don't have to go to some lawyer's office or the bank. DocuSign reports on Thursday. Stock's already up nearly 100% for the year. I think it actually has more room to run. It keeps being discovered by new people. Put it all together, and it's not that the market is totally heartless, although it certainly has no heart. It's that buyers are oblivious to the risk of purchasing stocks that have run and run and then run some more. You could say they're being reckless. The strategy, though, is making money. Maybe it's some sort of discipline we don't know. Bottom line, at the end of the day, the market has no conscience. Investors are simply trying to make money, and that's why they're crowding into the stay-at-home economy stocks, as I keep telling you, because the stay-at-home economy just got a major extension for many investors, right or wrong. Thought this was cerebral. It's worth exploiting. I want to go to Chucky in California, please. Chucky. Hey, Chuboya to you, Jim. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you, Chucky? Oh, great. Thank you. So my question will be for you is about Tesla. You know how much you love Tesla? But, you know, there are like 7.5% in, in one day. That's great. So my question would be buy or wait. I think Tesla goes to 1,000. We'll reevaluate it there. Uh, it does need ads. It's got a business that uh, is about to, I think, take China by storm. Maybe the United States is not that strong. Their fish germ- that German operation is going to be terrific. So I, I'm in the fa- I am totally in the Tesla camp. Let's go to Luca in Texas. Luca. Jimmy Chiel, Yo. thank you for taking my call. Of course. Long time, long time Action Alert Plus member. You made me a lot of money. Thank ah, you. You're, I am very, very excited to hear from you. What's up? Jim, uh, 5G is the way things are going. Right. My question is, what's your thoughts on Skyworks solution right here for a three to five years investment? Oh, you want to. Liam Griffin is fantastic. The 5G play is going to be multiple years. It's also why I like Marvell. I had a great quarter last week at Marvell, as you know, because you're a member of the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. So I like Skyworks very much. Hey, how about we go to Stafford in Indiana? Stafford. Hello, Jim. How's it going? Not bad. How about you? Not bad. I just recently purchased a few shares in Dropbox, and uh, I've read an article saying by 2024, Dropbox expects to have a massive massive amount of cash flow. And I believe in Jude Houston, but I'm a little concerned about, you know, post-coronavirus appeal. I think Dropbox is a lot like Slack. These are companies that people had said Microsoft has decided to put them out of business, and it can do that, and they're not going out of business. And Dropbox is a popular product. Uh, it's not going to be as hot. There are some companies like Zoom that are really taking off. But I think Dropbox is fine. Uh, not my favorite, but certainly not bad. All right, look, these are tough times. But for now, the market isn't participating in that debate. And that's how we rally. Well, man, money tonight, I'm sitting down with the CEO of one of the hottest stocks on earth, Chipotle. As more economies begin to reopen, I'll get a read on its trajectory. Then with gold approaching all-time highs, the yellow metal is backed by momentum and the residual effects of the COVID-19 shutdown. But is the move long in the tooth? I'm going off the trucks. And my exclusive with one of my absolute favorite stocks, Ulta, after earnings to find out how the beauty business is changing because of the pandemic. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. 
Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Maybe you've heard of Slack, but what is it? Slack is your new HQ. One place for everyone at your company to find answers, share updates, and stay caught up. Slack, where work happens. Get started at slack.com. Right, what do we do with the stock of Chipotle? Here's a stock that's been one of the biggest winners from the shelter-in-place economy. When the pandemic hit and the market crashed in March, Chipotle's stock got slammed down to 415. We got behind it once again because we figured this team is so smart it would figure things out. Sure enough, the company swiftly pivoted hard to digital ordering, mass market delivery, exactly what it needed to do, and uh, that's when I started telling you the stock deserved to be at $1,000. Well, now it's at $1,000, actually $1,048. Chipotle's had a magnificent run here, including a 65%-plus gain since we last spoke to the CEO two months ago. You heard that, 65. They're making a fortune with the delivery apparatus and drive through Chipotle lanes, but after such a magnificent move, the discipline thing might be to take some profits, right? Take a little off the table. Uh, we had a price target and it beat it. That said, I suspect this stock could have a lot more upside as it's become a trusted place to get food during a period of incredible fear and uncertainty. But don't take it from me or from my staff because we order Chipotle constantly. So let's check in with Brian Nickel, the turnaround artist, chairman, CEO of Chipotle Mexican Grill. Get a better read on how his coming's doing with Ted and Mr. Nickel. Welcome back to Mid Money. Hey, Jim. Thanks for having me. Good to be back. Brian, it looks like uh, the second quarter estimates, based on some of the checks that people are doing, including someone at Wedbush this morning, are indicating that things may be a, a lot better than we thought, even though they were already pretty good. I know it's, you can't talk about numbers specifically, but is there something going on that we should realize? Because it does seem there's a step function. You know, Jim, uh, you, you touched on this in the opening. We've been investing heavily into digital uh, and we've been investing heavily into our people and operations. And both of those things have served us well during uh, the COVID crisis. And I think they'll continue to serve us well going forward. We've been cautious in how we've uh, reopened dining rooms, but our hope is our digital gains will remain in really good shape while we start to bring back the dining room. And I think that's what some of the folks are starting to write about. Well, is it really possible that your uh, average unifying could go up to 2.5 million. Is that even doable? Jim, I, I think it's absolutely doable. And uh, it's been a target of this team uh, from the day I got here a little over two and a half, I guess almost, yeah, two and a half years ago. And uh, what we've always said on the team is once we get to two and a half million, our eyes will be on how do we go beyond that. So uh, we're very optimistic with the access that we're creating with our digital kitchens and all the digital access points combined with our food with integrity approach and the in-store customization speed value experience, uh, we absolutely believe we can get back to two five-average unit volumes with industry-leading margins. Yeah, bro, one thing you and I don't talk enough about is your model. Uh, the franchise model, people fell in love with it for a long time. It turns <laughs> out that if you own the stores and you want to give people a 10% pay increase because you want to appreciate it, you cut them a check. If you want teamwork, you huddle with your team. This model may be the tested model in a tough time. 
Yeah, Jim, look, I, I would tell you, uh, we're very fortunate that all 85,000 employees are Chipotle-focused uh, employees that value the same values that we have as an organization. Uh, this idea and purpose around cultivating a better world, giving people access to food with integrity, it runs from my office all the way down to every general manager's office. And the power of huddling this team together during uh, this coronavirus crisis has been really amazing. I mean, we already had great food safety and wellness programs in place, but I would get on the phone with 2,500, 3,000 restaurant general managers, and we would talk about what we're gonna do from a pay standpoint, what we need to do from a health and wellness standpoint on a Monday, and I gotta give these guys credit, Tuesday morning, they were already in action making it happen. And that's the power of our company culture, and that's the power of, uh, frankly, the great employees we have at Chipotle. And I also think that it works uh nationally to be able to bargain. I mean, Chipotle's were something I know the real estate investment trusts were initially dubious of, but now you, they've got someone who they should, they should pay you to be in there. You bring traffic, Brian. And I know that you're able to negotiate leases, but the fact is it, a lot of places need your traffic. And without it, it seems pretty dead. Look, you know, uh, Jim, I had the opportunity to go visit a couple markets over the last week or two. And one of the things that was a highlight of my visit was seeing these Chipotle lanes in action. It's another digital access point. And I got to tell you, you know, I ordered a quesadilla ahead of time uh, on our app. We're testing this in uh, Cleveland and Indianapolis. And, you know, I picked the time to pick it up. I pull up to the window, don't even hop out of the car. Quesadillas in my, you know, in my hands. Out I go. Um, And it's pretty an amazing experience, uh, especially for Chipotle, to get the quality of our food with the customization of our food at that type of speed, uh, I just think it's it's a whole new access point for Chipotle that people just are telling us they love. And we've got 80, 90 restaurants today. Um, it's going to be a big piece of our growth model going forward, for sure. All right. Now, th- this was a tough weekend for a lot of different people uh, in a lot of urban areas. Yeah. I'm from Philly. There's two Chipotles I absolutely love on Walnut Street. Please tell me they're OK. I mean, I know you lost a bunch of stores. Yeah, look, the, uh, you know, obviously all these events have been tragic and it hurts on so many levels, um, you know, and uh, fortunately, all of our employees have been safe. We have had some damage to restaurants, uh, but it's all damage, frankly, that we can patch up and fix. Um, you know, I'm optimistic about um, our future. And I think, you know, we have to address some of these issues that are absolutely plaguing, um, you know, this great country. And, I believe we will address them and we'll get back on uh, with doing the right things for everybody. And that's one of the things I love about Chipotle. It's a company for everybody. You know, there's such growth opportunities um, for everybody that joins our company. And um, hopefully we're building a culture where everybody knows they're supported. It's an inclusive environment. And uh, we truly can get on with making this world a better place. Yeah, I've always seen your place as a model of inclusion. Uh, Last thing, uh, it's it's pretty clear that you guys have figured out a bunch of things that others don't. A virtual prom? <laughs> what? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you yeah. know, we threw my daughter's graduation party at, at, at Bucknell at Chipotle, but now you're going to another level. Yeah, look, I, I got to hand it to our teams here. It is uh, a, a group of people that loves creativity, isn't afraid to, you know, take some risks and be on the front end of it. And, you know, the virtual prom, I thought, was just a brilliant idea. Um, and they've done a lot of fun things around Chipotle together where, you know, we had Gronkowski 
leading a workout. We had uh, some country western singers doing, uh, you know, some fun stuff over lunch. And uh, yeah, I look, I love the creativity that runs through our organization. Uh, it really is one of the key values um, that we look for in everybody that joins Chipotle. And it shows in some of the fun things like a virtual prom. Well, we also care, by the way. I mean, I trust the, I don't trust the food chain as much as I trust the Chipotle chain. <laughs> well, look, you know, I, I have to really give a huge hats off to uh, Carlos. He runs our supply chain group. They've done a phenomenal job of keeping our food with integrity ingredients in stock. You know, we've had some challenges here or there, and we'll right. probably have a few more as we do reopenings. But for the most part, Jim, uh, we've been very fortunate to have, you know, the food that you crave, that your team craves, <laughs> uh, and have it available for you guys. So, um, you know, sometimes a little food in these times goes a long way for people to get together around it, the table. It makes us so happy. It's kind of, if you were there, you would be like, oh, my God, those guys are insane. Anyway, thank you so much for coming on, Brian Nickel, Chairman CEO of Chipotle Mexican Grill. Always good to see you. Yeah, likewise, Jim. Thanks for having me. Take care. I switched to the bowl. As you get older, you have to make adjustments. The bowl is, makes me thinner than the burrito and my spectacular. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. In unprecedented times, access to the right information can help you make better informed investing decisions. That's why TD Ameritrade is committed to providing a range of relevant educational content, like timely articles, informative webcasts, and access to daily live market news, so you can stay on the path to becoming a smarter investor. Learn more at tdameritrade.com slash market hub. TD Ameritrade, where smart investors get smarter. What do we do with a big cosmetics and salon chain like Ulta Beauty in this incredibly difficult period where we've got a pandemic, mass unemployment, now civil unrest? Last Thursday, Ulta reported a tough quarter where most of the locations were closed. But management told a terrific and encouraging story about investments in their digital business and store reopenings. They say the vast majority will be open again by the end of June. In response, the stock actually rallied on Friday. And then this weekend came along, and unfortunately, some of the stores were damaged in a couple of different cities. That's probably why the stock got hit, even though it caught a great upgrade from Aaron Murphy at Piper Sandler. Very smart report. So what does all this turmoil mean for a chain like Ulta? Let's take a closer look with Mary Dillon, the CEO of Ulta Beauty, find out more about how our company's doing in this challenging environment. Ms. Dillon, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. It's great to be here. Mary, it looks like the uh, pent-up demand for Ulta stores as you open them up is just incredibly strong, while at the same time your digital, your glamlet engagement is great, too. Mm -hmm. So it's clear that people want to come back and shop in the physical store of Ulta. Well, that's right. So, you know, first of all, obviously, it's been a challenging time for everybody. I'm thrilled that our our guests are showing us that they really want to come back and engage in beauty. So, as you know, you know, we had to make the difficult decision to close all of our stores in March. And then we became an e-commerce only business overnight. And our e-commerce team delivered with such speed to meet the guest demand. And then, as you know, we also opened up curbside a few weeks later. And I'm calling that Ulta Beauty to go. And our guests responded tremendously well. In fact, the first, you know, 180 stores that we had open in that first few weeks, their total sales were similar very much to a year ago, just different by channel, of course. So, so far, so good. You know, it's early. And as you know, there's a lot happening. 
Well, I thought what was incredible was that's I, I wish people understood how incredible that is that your stores had those numbers without the stores, because most companies that have tried to do this have not been that successful. Well, there's some pets up demand for beauty. Uh, we saw that happening. But again, there's there's many, many weeks ahead of us to see how this unfolds. I'm thrilled about the fact that, you know, standing here today, we have about three quarters of our stores open for curbside, Ulta Beauty to go, and a little over 50% fully open for retail. We've been taking it step by step, you know, making sure that we're opening in the right way and making sure we're really caring about the health and safety of our associates and our guests. And so by the end of June, we should have most everything open. Now, one of the things that's pretty clear is, is that if you're going to get a recession category that may be as close to recession proof, it is hair care, makeup, skin care. Are you seeing that numbers just hold up even with an unemployment rate that's unimaginable? Well, I would say this. Listen, Ulta Beauty's been around for 30 years. Um, we're not recession proof. But we've got a really strong business model. We sell, we call it all things beauty all in one place, right? From mass to prestige categories, from makeup to hair to skincare. And so it allows us to participate and meet the guests where they are. And what we're seeing is that when this whole thing first started with the pandemic, certainly people started to buy things like hand sanitizers and soaps. You know, that was the immediate need. And then that evolved, as you can imagine, to do-it-yourself, do-it-at-home kinds of products for hair color and nails and things like that. And then it evolved to a place I think was really interesting, which is more about self-care. And that intersection of beauty and wellness and self-care is very important. And we saw our guests really love to do things like, you know, do more skincare, do more hair masks, use more scented things in their house. And so, you know, that's all, we participate in all those categories. And as people are going back to work, whether it's on a video call or not, you know, certainly looking professional, doing your hair, doing your makeup is, is an important part of the ritual that is happening. Well, let, let's talk about the uh, doing the video from home. We had Fabrizio Fredo on, uh, we all know, the great Estee Lauder CEO. And he said, Jim, it was the selfie generation. Now it's the Zoomy generation. And he said, people don't really care how they look on a Zoomy. They know they don't. They, it's like, holy cow. It, it turns out that they're looking at themselves. Others are looking at them and they have to get made up. 300 million people on Zoom. Have you seen some demand from that? Well, you know, it's I think it's early to say we've certainly see, seen skincare trends continue to accelerate and makeup as well. We saw as people started to participate in the curbside pickup that makeup actually over indexed there hmm. relative to what we we're seeing. So that was interesting. And I, it's early to say, right? I mean, but I do think that, and I've seen this anecdotally with a lot of folks, you know, when you were doing audio only calls, you could look however you want it. When it's a video call, you want to present yourself in the way that you would look normally, I guess, at work. And so some of those rituals are coming back. Now, uh, let's talk about uh, the tragic events this weekend. Uh, I guess about three years ago, you gave a talk at the Wall Street Journal. It was a panel. And you talked about the opening of a store in Hyde Park. And you went there and you weren't happy with the representation of women there. And you made some changes that showed you're well ahead of the way people are thinking about these things. Well, listen, at Ulta Beauty, we place such high importance in celebrating all the beauty around us and all forms and all ways that people express their beauty. And yes, I feel like as, a, as an industry and certainly as a company, this was seven years ago now, but we had some way to go to really represent the beautiful diversity of our country. And when you come into our stores today, 
I'm so proud of this. Our general managers tell me this all the time. Our salon managers, they see that the images that we show represent all women and men and people who are non-gender binary, people who are of all races and all ages, and that's really important. And so for me, I feel like you know, we're doing the part that we can do to really listen to our associates and our guests and represent beauty in all of its beautiful dimensions. At the same time, I know you had some stores that were damaged. You've always been uh, in all sorts of different neighborhoods. And I, how are those? Uh, how can you bring them back online? How soon? Yeah, I mean, we certainly have had some stores that we've had to close over the weekend. And listen, just stepping back, we had a town hall on Friday that I do every quarter after our earnings call the next day. And we had over 2000 people on the call because we did it all via, you know, a teleconference. And so, and one of the things I talked about there was the unfortunate situation with George Floyd and what that means to our employees and our associates and our guests as we see the continued difficulties that exist, the combination of the, the, the pandemic, as well as this issue that was really sad to, to see. And one of the things we talked about was we just need, we're not going to solve it all, but we need to make sure we're a place that we can talk to each other and learn from each other about how we're feeling about this. Now, having said that, and we certainly support people's rights to protest. But then, you know, this went went further over the weekend. And many retailers, unfortunately, were affected. And retailers, you know, we're working hard together to bring back the economy, to bring back our stores for our guests and to keep our guests and our associates safe. So we will do what we need to do to keep our guests safe and our associates safe, which means we close a lot of stores to make sure that they weren't in a difficult situation. I'm sure this we will bring those, these stores back. It'll be fine. But right now, it's it's challenging. Well, look, I, I have total faith that uh, you come to that June deadline. Maybe everybody stores open up and it'll just be a huge year for Ulta Beauty. Mary Dillon, CEO of, of Ulta Beauty. Thank you so much for coming on Mad Money. Thank you. This may be uh, a terrific time to buy this company's shares before they actually reopen. Don't forget they've got a gigantic Ultimates. You should go on that site, by the way, if you haven't. Uh, their their uh, rewards program, which is the biggest in the country. Mad Money's back here for the break. Unemployment probably around 20%. Serious unrest sweeping the nation. Is it a time to go all in on gold? I always say you own gold in some, in some form as insurance against economic chaos, which is why it's been such a great performer this year. But that's why we need to be careful. Cities all over America are burning, yet the price of gold barely budged today. This is a hard asset that's supposedly, uh, supposed to make you money in times of chaos. The fact that it did next to nothing today is not a good sign for gold. Of course, the precious metal is currently at $1,738, not too far from its all-time highs. So what if you're late to the party? What if the rally's running out of steam? Steam. Well, hold it. To answer that, what we got to do, we got to go off the charts. With the help of Carly Garner, who's called it right the whole way. She's a brilliant technician who's the co-founder of DeCarly Trading, the author of Higher Probability Commodity Trading, and a resident commodities expert. Get a better read on gold. Right now, gold's got momentum. The shutdown has been good for the shiny stuff. But Garner's been following the precious metal long enough to know it looks like what it looks like when a gold rally starts running out of buyers. 
And that's what she sees here. The problem with gold is that it's a feast or famine market. You get joyous rallies like the one we've had so far this year, but they're often followed by agonizing declines, which is what she's worried about. What makes her so concerned? Garner's picked up a lot of mixed signals here. First, take a look at this. this is an historical chart. Notice, not the price of gold. An historical chart of the seasonal action in gold prices compiled by an alpha called Moore Research Center Incorporated. Typically, it tends to, be, to uh, trade sideways or go lower over the summer. In short, the seasonal pattern is against you through mid-August. Garner also points out that gold prices tend to firm up in September, but a lot can happen before then to trigger a major correction. You heard me, major. On the other hand, we've now got a weakening dollar, and that should give the precious metal a boost. usually does. Remember, commodities like this one are priced in U.S. dollars. When the greenback goes down, gold goes up. So check out the daily chart of the dollar index, which measures our currency against a basket of foreign ones. For Garner, one of the most remarkable things about the recent gold rally is that it happened against the backdrop of a strong dollar. While the greenback went higher, gold went higher, too, which is the opposite of how it normally works. This time they were able to trade in the same direction because of the COVID-induced shutdown, which created all sorts of bizarre action. Lately, though, the dollar's begun to weaken, in part because there's a lot less foreign cash swamping our markets to take advantage of higher interest rates. Our rates are no longer uh, that much higher than the rest of the world's. Garner expects the dollar index to trade toward the bottom edge of its range in the mid to low 90s, where its trend line gives it a nice floor of support. If she's right, that's good news for gold. So the seasons are against you, but the dollar is on your side. If that's the case, why is Garner so concerned? All right, now take a gander at this monthly chart of the gold futures, which includes the CFTC's Commitments of Traders or COT report. This is one of my favorite tools out there. The Commitment of Traders report tells you what large speculators, small speculators, and commercial hedgers are doing with a given commodity. Now, what we care about is this group, the large speculators. Okay, that's what matters. Uh, That's the money managers. And based on the data, Garner thinks too many of them are bullish. In other words, the trade is getting overcrowded. Always a bad sign. Earlier this year, the bull set an all-time record with a massive net long position of 336,000 contracts. According to the last report, which lags a week, that number had come down to 238,000. But after last week's buying spree, Garner's betting that the number is once again approaching 300,000. In other words, we're getting close to a point where the bulls run out of firepower. When everyone's positive, that means there's no one left to buy. Gold's not quite there yet, but at some point soon. Garner predicts the buying will dry up. All right, so how about the regular monthly chart of gold futures? Let's take a look at this. Uh, okay, Garner points out that gold has a ceiling resistance up at about 50 bucks from here, near 1800 Okay, there's a ceiling that is holding it back. If the buyers run out of ammunition, the precious metal is going to have a very hard time breaking through that ceiling. There's another ceiling at 1900 where gold peaked in 2011. That's kind of interesting, right? But Garner suspects that's not in the cards. Gold has tried and failed to break out above 1,800 three times since the 2011 peak. In short, we're coming up against a ceiling that's held the precious metal contained for nearly a decade. I mean, that's this thing's a roof. It's not just a ceiling. It's an ironclad roof. What else? Garner pays close attention to the relative strength index. That's the RSI down here, right? It's an important momentum indicator. Right now, it's nearing 75, uh, meaning gold is very close to being overbought, a bad sign. However, gold rallies tend to get overheated. In the past, Garner points out that the RSI is going to the 80s before gold peaks. 
It may be overbought now, but it could get very overbought before this rally fully runs out of steam. That's especially true now that we had that weakening dollar that I showed you. So Gardner's not saying you need to sell now. She expects gold could have still one more leg higher. But after that next leg, she recommends taking profits. Again, gold is a feast or famine kind of commodity. Look at what happened the last few times it reached similarly overbought levels. It happened in 2006. It happened in 2009 and 2011. And each time, whoa, we got a rapid correction. Gold plummeted 24% from its highs in 2006. It plunged 33% in 2009. It nosed 38% in 2011. Put that in perspective, a similar breakdown from these levels would mean gold could go all the way back to 1200 Put it all together and Garner thinks you got to start lightening up here. You really do. This is not the time to be aggressively long gold. Bottom line, while the gold rally could still have some fuel left, the charts, as interpreted by Carly Garner, suggest that we might have one final leg higher, followed by what could be a devastating breakdown. So you might want to think about selling some gold into strength here after its amazing run. I'm with Carly on this one. Philip in New Jersey. Philip. Hey, Jimmy Chill. Yo, yo. From New Jersey. Fantastic. Long-time viewer, first-time caller. Shout-out to my dad in Rochester, New York, who got me started in investing. Fantastic. I'm calling today to ask you about Ollie's. I picked up some shares back in mid-February based on your recommendation at $55. The market started dropping a few days later from COVID news, and the stock bottomed out mid-30s. Right. Since then, it stormed back into the 90s, approaching its all-time high after a great earnings report last week. First, I want to thank you for the recommendation. And next, I want your take on the long-term picture for Ollie's. Okay, now, I always like to give credit, okay? And Matthew Boss at J.P. Morgan was the one who told me it's time to buy Ollie's. I was suspicious, and, and I was actually quite critical because I said, listen, Mark Butler is Ollie's. He said, no, this new team is good. Uh, he feels good about this recent run. I also feel, once again, I don't want to give that run back. So I'd say t- take a little off the table. Will in New York, Will! Hey, Jim, big bountiful booyah from Brooklyn. Well, there you go, man. Let's hope things get a little calmer there. But I understand the frustration. How can I help? My question today regards ACC or American Campus Communities, student housing-based REIT. Got some nice business building intern housing for Disney. Very cool stuff. But I can't see them selling housing by the bed in in a condition like this. Furthermore, Q2, only time you can show student housing. Almost over. If they can't show the adequate income on assets, assets will get devalued. No new debt. You know that story. What do you think? Is it still possible? Uh, I, am, um, uh, I, I am not a believer in, uh, in going to college and paying $80,000 and being able to come to school sometime and not others. So I am cool on this particular segment, as I would be cool on colleges if they were stocks. I feel terrible, but that, that's how I got a cold as I see it. Right, gold's been incredible this year, but the charts suggest a breakdown can happen. Consider selling into strength, please. It is time. It's time for the and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Steve? Dad, it's time for the lightning round. Could you play Steve in Tennessee? Steve. Jim, thank you so much for all you do, my friend. You've taught me how to make some dough in this crazy market. Ah, well, then I think good. What's going on? Listen, uh, you taught me quality management team, solid balance sheet. These guys are uh, playing optical networks. They sell the cloud and 5G telcos. 
They compete directly with China's Huawei. What do you think of Sienna? I like Gary Smith. He's been absent from the show for years, but Gary rocks. Ah, And so does Sienna. I need to go to Shane in Florida. Shane! Hey, booyah, Jim from South Florida. All right. Me and my wife, we're long-time listeners, just started investing. He's come up with C-Gen. C-Gen, Jim. Is this, a, is this a keep or is it a sell? Is she right or is it's she a, wrong? It's a spec, okay? It's a spec. It's a genomic spec. I happen to be I have a soft spot for any company that's doing oncological research and genomic research. So it's going to come under my, I think it's worth it for a spec view. Let's go to Jeff in Colorado. Jeff. Hey, Jimmy Chill. How you doing? The Chill Man's good. What's going on? All right, this is Jeff Greenwood in Brentwood and Lakewood, Colorado, outside of Denver. Couldn't be better. I have a two-part question for you. Number one, about a year and a half ago, Boeing had those accidents, and they dropped in two days. It was 420 to 394, so I sold it. Okay. Okay, now I took half that profit back then. I'm not a stock expert, but I watch you every night for 10 years. All right, thank you. But my my question is, I, with that money that I lost in Boeing, I said, "Well, I'll try to get it back." Okay. I bought. I thought about a lot of things that I do have, most of them which I don't anymore. Okay. But I bought. And what, and what stock is that? Oh, I bought Clorox. Uh, well, Clorox is fantastic. Now they they got a high quality problem. They got more business they can handle. That is one of my favorite situations to be in, and a brand. That turns out to be bigger than they thought to go into Europe, I believe. Let's go to Mark in Wisconsin. Mark. Yeah, Jim, thanks for the heads up on that stock. I believe it was Switch. I bought some some, some of that. The stock I got for you today is On Semiconductor. I was wondering what your On Semi? Were. I think it's fine. I mean, but I got so many better ones. I got NVIDIA. I got AMD. Uh, I think those are both better. I think you should fool around with those. That's not really fooling around. It's investing. Let's go to Chuck in Florida. Chuck! Booyah, Professor Kramer. This is Chuck in Florida. Long-time listener, second-time caller. Glad that My you're here. My question is about Hog. Harley owners. No, group. I don't like the demo. It's a demographic that matters. Uh, demographic is uh, mine. Uh, and that's too old. Okay, let's go to Jana in California. Jana! Hi, Mr. Kramer. My stock is Cloudera. D-L-D-R. Well, they did that merger. It's finally coming together. You know, I thought the merger was going to be instantly good, so I was premature. But I think you have a winner there in Cloudera. I need to go to Cassie in New York. Cassie. Yes. Cassie. This is Cassie from New York. Okay. Go yes, ahead, Cassie. I want shit. to know. I want to know about international paper. I think. Well, the problem with international papers is it's got no growth. And that whole industry has got too much capacity. So I am going to say no to international paper. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Booyah! Booyah, Jimmy. Booyah! Mr. Kramer, thank you for taking my call on everything you do for us. A long-time listener, first-time caller. After reading every book you've written five times over, I've been able to leave a traditional career at age 37 to make a full-time successful career managing my own portfolio. I've been watching your show for about 10 years. Thank you for everything that you do. Thank you so much for everything you do for us, home gamers. Just want to thank you for sharing your market knowledge. You have unquestionably impacted my approach as a serious investor. 
Is helping lower-income communities good for business? It's a question that goes beyond altruism, especially in the wake of this weekend's unrest. So let me give you some examples, just recent examples we talked about, some over the years. First, there's the P-TECH program begun by IBM, which helps give inner-city kids opportunities, what IBM's former CEO, Ginny Rometty, called the new-collar economy. As Rashid Davis, founding principal of the Pathways and Technology Early College, P-TECH, told us, his program gives students from underprivileged backgrounds the kind of rigorous education that's needed to compete in an AI-driven world. IBM has been leading the way here, and the program now has more than 200,000 students in places like Broadway, Chicago, Brooklyn, and Newburgh. Because this is a show about making money in the market, we have to ask, can it help IBM? Oh, it sure can. It means they can hire the best of the best. There are tons of incredibly talented people in this country who never get a chance. Giving them that chance is good for business. Of course, that's not why they do it. They do it because it's the right thing to do. Another example we recently had is Marvin Ellison on the show. He's the CEO of Lowe's. I was struck by his note to his teammates this very morning. He writes, and I quote, tensions have been rising in our country for some time now. As the pandemic and economic crisis have upended lives, so too is the racism that for far too long has torn families and communities apart, end quote. Ellison goes on to explain that he grew up in the segregated South and his parents told him stories about living under Jim Crow. So Ellison has a personal understanding of the fear and frustration many of his teammates are experiencing, hence his commitment to their neighborhoods and communities. I know it's hard to conflate these personal thoughts with money, and Marvin doesn't go there. But the last time he came on the show, he talked about how Lowe's is giving $25 million to minority-owned businesses in the neighborhoods around the stores. What else? I know Target's had to close many stores in the Lake Street location in Minneapolis. Their hometown got looted and burned. CEO Brian Cornell put out a widely circulated note today that seemed heartfelt and to the point. He begins by saying, and I quote, we are a community in pain, end quote. He explains that Target's doing everything it can uh, to supply demonstrators with truckloads of first aid equipment, other necessities. Not long ago, Brian took me to see a new Target on Flatbush Avenue in a lower income part of Brooklyn. Major retailers really for years shied away from this area. Ages. Because they didn't think it could be profitable. They thought the community was too impoverished. But Brian read it the other way. He saw tons of hardworking two-income families looking for a nice place to shop, a beautiful place to shop. So we built it, along with some soccer fields, by the way. Why? Right thing to do. Do you know that high-poverty schools offer one-third fewer sports and sports teams than low-poverty schools? Tomorrow, Dick Sporting goes reports. And while I doubt that Ed Stack, the chairman and CEO, will point blank mention his nationwide initiative to help kids from, from underserved schools, uh, school districts play sports, but it's made a difference in the lives of thousands of young people. In truth, there are way too many companies with programs like these for me to single them all out. I bring them up because, bizarrely, we live in a world where many CEOs have become leaders in the fight for racial and social justice. No, they can't indict. They can't legislate. They can't spend the kind of money that only the federal government has at its disposal. But, man, at least they're trying to do something. That's a heck of a lot more than business leaders used to do. And many politicians do now. Stick with Kramer and don't miss Crisis in America, a special hour with my friend Andrew Ross Sorkin tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern. Tonight at 7 p.m., Crisis in America, protests, pandemic, and more trouble may be on the horizon with China. Tonight, Andrew Ross Sorkin hosts a special hour with influential names in the world of business. That's at 7 p.m. Eastern. This is not Armageddon. It's a painful time to own stocks, but it won't always be. 
I'm opening up the phone lines, taking all your questions. I just want to thank you for keeping us sane through all the turbulent times and reminding us to never panic. Thanks for everything that you do. And sure thanks trying. for talking me down off the ledge more than once. I don't know when the averages will bottom, but eventually there'll be bargains. I want to read it after the close today. Starbucks had an announcement, but it really was an announcement. It's exactly what they were saying before, and yet the stock's trading down. Sometimes that's where some great opportunities lay. Uh, also, I felt that the Chipotle interview made me feel that Brian Nichols is going to be able to get that stock much higher. And if you want to know which percentage gainer I expect to happen between here and the end of the year, it will be Ulta, because Mary Dillon has a fantastic loyalty approach. And I've got to tell you, some loyal customers. I like that story. Like I say, there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.